1992, I believe it was 1992, I drove brown K car from small town Manitoba to come into this parking lot to spend eight months interning here. It was a great eight months for me. I don't know how it was for the church. I could spend a lot of time reminiscing about that, uh, those, those times, formative for sure. Whether it was the afternoon road hockey, I was here during the participation in the Unionville Main Street Parade. That didn't go so well, uh, our participation, but very few will remember that experience. I was here preaching my first message, and I'm extremely thankful there was no video evidence uh, of that moment. Um, but Unionville was a beautiful place to learn. It holds many fond memories. And the one I should mention, and where I, the only place I can literally say I met my wife underneath the, the balcony uh, on a Sunday morning. So you never know what happens on a Sunday morning. Do you need me to adjust anything or we're good? Just want a little bit of echo, but I can navigate uh, navigate that. Uh, Will did a great job just beginning to introduce you to new ventures. And again, what a privilege it's been. Uh, once I interned here, uh, and then I got my first job at Coburg, Ontario as a youth pastor. I stayed there for um, 12 years. I still live in Coburg. And what happened during that season at Coburg Alliance is we, uh, we began to network churches, getting a sense that as we work together, God may be doing something bigger. We started network and do a little event called Bedlam. We started networking doing a thing called Good Friday Youth Rally, which was largely held here. We started to network and send teams to Mexico City to do church planning in Mexico City. We thought that if we work together, um, we could do something that's bigger than just one church and it's sustainable. And as we kept doing that, they invited me to, to begin to say, what would that look like if we worked together to start new things in Canada? And so uh, we started working in the area called New Ventures, which became called New Ventures. And really, in a lot of ways, it was not a, not a program. It was far more of an adventure of going, how do we create the type of environment that allows new things to emerge? How do we create, create the type of environment that's inviting for leaders to ask new questions? How do we move from a rather a one-size-fits-all to identifying what's the new thing that God's doing and how do we build partnerships around that new thing? It's less about our legacy of churches, more about raising up new leaders in new places, not only around the world, which is the history of the Christian Mission Alliance, but also here in Canada. So um, sometimes we need to be reminded that God's doing a new thing, even here. Sometimes we need to be reminded that God's doing a new thing, even in the midst of a pandemic. God's spirit is still at work. He's still raising leaders. He's still about growing the church. It's just going to look different. In fact, we even know in these last two years it is different. We'll continue to be. It's a season of us learning and listening and asking questions and being open to what the Spirit of God may be doing in our own lives but also in the lives of our churches. This evening, I look forward to introducing you to three stories. Arabic Church in Ottawa. One of our alliance pastors who actually was trained in Lebanon came to Canada as a refugee, working alongside a Chinese church in Ottawa, starting Arabic Bible Church that's also partnered with three or four other churches in the area that now is a network across Canada. And you'll meet Richard, 
You'll meet a small group of people down on the lakeshore in Etobicoke, south of Etobicoke, who's asserting what God's calling them to. So about 20 people, five families, 20 people stepping out and began in these last year and a half asking questions, meeting regularly on Zoom, saying, Jesus, what are you calling us to? What might the church look like here in South Etobicoke? I'll introduce you to Howard Jolly, who's, who, as he pastored the First Nations Church in Winnipeg, began to move online and find a gathering of several thousand people. That during this season of great loss amongst the First Nation communities, would reach out to Howard and say, could you just play me a song? So one of our smallest churches in Winnipeg began to move online and to move, and not just to keep people connected, but to begin to minister to those who are isolated and broken. Our model is not a one-size-fits-all. So if you begin to work this way, what happens over years is it begins to look like this. And we found that we've been starting a new venture every two weeks now for the last few years. New place, a new leader. We just find that as we work together, as we create room for God's spiritual works, God's raising up new leaders. And as we partner together, we've just seen something multiplicative happening and will continue to happen across our country. This is just a snapshot from Eastern Canada of the last few years. We believe that God continues to do something new and it will spring forth and we just want to be aware of it. That he continues to make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Well, this morning, I want to take you through. Take you through a look at Paul's missionary journey. Acts 13 and 14 and we're going to walk through it. But first, again, sorry, a reference back to learning here. I just want to thank and pause for a moment because I want to recognize that Unionville has been the place that launched leaders. And I don't think that's me very much, to be honest. There's a lot of great leaders that has come out of here. I just got a glimpse of the beauty that is Unionville Alliance Church and this church family. But this is a place. This is a place where leaders can learn. This is a place where spiritual gifts can be experienced. This is, is a place of great formation. I've, it's been a gift in my life. It's been a gift to many others. And you've continued to be a partner through all the seasons and all the change. You've continued to be a partner to the new things that God is doing around the world and here. So thank you. A sincere thank you for the investment and sacrifice of many of you. So I literally this morning want to take a look at Acts 13 and 14 in Paul's journey. We're going to kind of do an overview. If you want, you can follow along uh, uh, just by keeping your Bible open on Acts 13 and 14 or on your app, or just listen. But we're going to get a taste, a little bit of a sense of what Paul was going through during that season. You see, as the gospel moves... As new things are started, two things that often follow. They are amazement and there's chaos. New things will be amazing, but they will be equally chaotic. 
and it will take the type of people who are adaptable and resilient to lead through it. My approach to Instagram is this. Follow my kids so I know what's going on in their lives. Follow my work, because I have to. Follow my sister. My sister is eight years younger than I am. Let's just say she's high 30s. Here's a post that got me started following her. It reads this. To my siblings. I would just like to apologize for all the dumb things I said about raising kids while you were raising yours. Don't worry, karma got me back. One large bag of cinnamon toast crunch. One large bag of goldfish crackers. A loaf of bread, a bowl of grapes, and a sink of water equals two very happy boys and two very sick dogs. <laughs> 10 piles of vomit all around the house, and we have cream-colored carpet. Child locks don't seem to work for my children. They do, however, work for my mom. I'm positive they are all alive. She has, I have twin nephews, she has twin boys. They could be nicknamed amazement and chaos. <laughs> Those two things are happening at all, it feels like every moment within that household. So I began to follow and enjoying posts like this. And posts like this. And posts like this. New things are exciting. New things are amazing. New things, new lives can create chaos. You're going to see that in this journey of Paul through Acts 13 and 14. So again, if you turn with me as we read. Acts chapter 13. Verse 1. Now, there, was, there were in Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. There's a church in Antioch who sets apart two leaders, Paul and Barnabas, to better understand how the message of Jesus Christ is being received and what was going on in the churches of Asia Minor, those beyond the Jewish faith. So Paul and Barnabas set out from Antioch travel across the island of Cyprus and land in Antalya. Modern-day Antalya back then was Perga. And they travel out, and we're going to pick up the story in Acts 13. For, in Acts 13. Now Paul and his companions put out to, from Paphos to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going out from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. 
So here's the thing. Early in the trip, Paul and Barnabas are set apart in Antioch. There's excitement to see what God's doing in the new places, amongst new people. And as they're sent out and as they, they left, they go through the island of Cyprus, they land in Antalya or Perga, and something happens very, very early in the trip. John Mark leaves them and returns to Jerusalem. And we know that was not a, a helpful conflict later on in, in, the, in the New Testament. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue and they sat down. Here's this thing. Early in the trip, their trio becomes a duo. The other thing that happened, you get a little bit of a glimpse of, and it's, you can refer to Galatians 4. Paul talks about, in Galatians 4, 13, to the people in Galatia where he's headed, but you know that it was because of a body bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you for the first time. And that was a trial to you in my bodily condition, and you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. So here, Paul travels from Perga, and at Perga, at Antalya, conflict happens. And at Perga, very early in the trip, Paul's getting sick. And so you find that very quickly, in a new, in a new experience, and something new that God's doing, sickness and conflict enter in. These are people who are set apart, who are obedient, who are living faithfully, but very early in the journey, they experience conflict and they experience sickness. And that sickness actually propels, propels Paul up to Pisidian Antioch, which is also called Gal the area of Galatia. If you want to get a little bit of a window of that, if you go back, you see the mountains. It was thought that Paul had gotten sick. It was tough for him to breathe. So they, he tra was traveling up to more dry, arid land. It's fascinating that at times that God uses sickness and conflict to propel us into new places. Sickness may stir something new in our lives that we would never have imagined. that God often uses throughout Scripture difficult times and difficult seasons in our lives to actually open up into new areas that we would never have imagined or areas we'd never go. And in this case, Paul experiences sickness and conflict that takes him up to Pisidian Antioch and further on in the journey. So they continue up. We continue to read in, in Acts 13 on to Pisidian Antioch, about 150 miles, seven days with a rise of elevation of 3,280 feet. The next part of the journey is extremely dangerous. There are thieves along the way, there are narrow precipices. Some conclude that this is why John Mark left. Either way, Paul's journey continues up to higher elevation and he is not well. The book of Acts records in Acts 13, 48 to 49, kind of what happened. There's a long teaching. We're going to pick it up in Acts 13, verse 48. Paul teaches to the crowd, and, and here's a response in 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the Lord. They glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many had, as had been appointed to eternal life believed. 
and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Again, the word of the Lord, Paul arrives in Pisidian Antioch. The first response is there's rejoicing. There's glorifying the word of the Lord. Many had been appointed to eternal life. Many had come to know him. And then the very next sentence, or very, very next sentence is, but the Jews incited the devout woman of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. And they shook off their dust to their feet in protest against them and went on to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Up to Pisidian Antioch. Antalya is sickness and conflict. Pisidian Antioch is, amaz- is receptivity and response followed with persecution. Paul continues. The next stage, and that is Acts 13.50. The next part is Paul travels to Iconium. And in Iconium, Acts 14, 1-7, we read this. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together, and they spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both Jews and Greeks, But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there, speaking boldly with with reliance upon the Lord, who is testifying to the word of grace, granting granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews, with the rulers to mistreat and stone them. They became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derby, and the surrounding region, where they continued to preach the gospel. Paul travels to Iconium. And as he's there for an extended period of time, there's signs and there's wonders. Good things are happening. And at this very same time, there's attempts and mistreatments through his life. So he flees. Again, persecution takes him to the next city, which is Derby and Lystra. And you read about that in Acts 14, 1 to 8. In Acts 14, 1 to 8, uh, 14, 8 to 18, we read again that Paul, um, that there's a miraculous healing. At Lystra, a man who was sitting with no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's room, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke fixed his gaze on him and, with, and that he had the faith to make him well. Paul said, stand up to your feet and walk. And he leaped and began to walk. And the crowd saw that Paul had done. They raised their voice like the gods have come down. They began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So here we go. They go from Antalya where they experience sickness. They go up to Pisidian Antioch, where they preach, and many come to faith. They go from Pisidian Antioch, they, um, uh, they, uh, they get driven out of Pisidian Antioch, and they head a little bit further down to Iconium. At Iconium, there's signs and wonders, and they stay there for a while. But even then, the mistreatment follows them. Then they head into Lystra Derby, and immediately, God does this miraculous healing But even that healing is misunderstood and causes them to be worshipped in a way that they don't want to be worshipped. 
amazement and chaos follows Paul and Barnabas through that entire journey. And it makes me think, have we ever been misunderstood in trying to do what was right? Have we ever had the experience where we stepped into something new and stepped out in faith and actually God did something wonderful and even what he did that was wonderful becomes misunderstood? That happened to Paul very early. Have you ever experienced that when you thought God was calling you into something, you experienced sickness? And it might even experience a sense of conflict with somebody where somebody you walked with for many years no longer is sitting beside you at this moment. And you go, I thought I was stepping out and doing the right thing. And you were. But it doesn't mean that it, the, the path does not come with an element of chaos as we step into obedience. It means the presence of God and his spirit continues to lead us and to guide us. But there isn't an element of complexity and hurt and challenges that come with that. Paul experienced it. Barnabas experienced it. They lived it. In fact, it was the very thing that actually they learned from and kept moving through. So you keep reading right to the very end. They're in Lystra. The conflict gets so bad. Verse 19, you read this. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. They followed them. And having they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out to the city, supposing him to be dead after all that. That part of the journey ends with Paul outside of the city being left for dead. In many ways. In many ways, I kind of wrestle with that by going, hey, hey, that's what Jesus invites us into. It, d- doesn't, it doesn't seem to market that well. Here's the life. I promise to be with you. Promise to take you places where you may have never imagined. Promise to lead you into places and guide you, be present with you, and through you, many will come to know. But you know what? It won't come without chaos. There'll be amazing moments of great celebration, and there'll be years of staying in the same place, working hard. There'll be times when crowds will rise up and say, this is amazing. There'll be times when that same crowd goes, we want nothing to do with you. That's all going on in the midst of this story as a church in its very formation. It's just beginning. And Paul and Barnabas are walking into a different situation, a different situation. They're experiencing that as the Holy Spirit's leading them. And the kingdom is breaking through. It's a beautiful part. It's saying yes to Jesus kind of invites us into the life we've never ima- we would have never imagined. You just get the glimpse from the, the announcement on Alpha. But there's this invitation to this life that's unimaginable, of meaning and purpose and fulfillment. It's the grace of God that changes us. We open ourselves to him. At the same time, he doesn't just come and just come and causes us to be at rest. He, does such a new work in our life that he leads us into something. We may not know what that is, but he leads us across our street, 
and engagement in our work. He leads us into places that will be absolutely amazing. But as God breaks through into new things, there's also an element of chaos. It's all part of the journey. It's beautiful. But it takes a certain way of thinking. And it takes a certain type of leader to navigate that. I think we can learn a lot from Paul and Barnabas by looking at that. And I think one of the biggest adjustments that I think needs to make, and I love the fact, again, the focus of, of, these, uh, of these Sundays to stop and see what God's doing around the world. Let's stop and see what God's doing here. I think one of the biggest adjustments that we need to think, to realize, is that we're not Antioch. See, whenever I read that story growing up, and I read that the church sent out leaders to go to new places, I always envisioned that of all the churches that they're talking about, I envisioned that I was in Antioch, sending leaders to new places. Friends, we're not Antioch. Churches around the world are sending people here. Just before that pandemic, it struck me. I was at Newmarket, one of our churches, Newmarket Alliance Church, and Andreas, come from Colombia, and our, one of our Spanish church leaders, Ain Armina. And we were sitting and we were talking about the demographics of Newmarket and how they were changing the Spanish population in Newmarket. And, and, uh, and I was trying to understand this new thing that was happening. Is there a new expression? Can Newmarket Alliance Church help? Is, can the Spanish network help? And, and we got around to say, how, can this, how might this new congregation take form as a new venture? But I asked Andres, I go, Andres, how are you being funded to start a new, ch like there's some finances. Like, and Andre says, our home church in Colombia is supporting us $1,000 a month for the next two years. Like, uh, so a partner in our new ventures in Canada is actually a church in Colombia. Richard Rea, who leads our community in Ottawa, you meet the, his education in the Alliance he was educated in the Alliance. The school just happens to be in Lebanon. He was trained as an Alliance pastor, just trained in Lebanon. I was trained in Regina. It's far less glamorous. We're not Antioch, friends. So missions happens across the street and in our neighborhoods, and we start to ask different questions. What is God doing here? And you feel that. You know some things have shifted in our culture. I mean, just a few things to note. But we've experienced substantial demographic shifts with the growing retirement of, of boomers, the rise of millennials, and the large number of young people who have walked away from the faith. We've all experienced that. We've all watched that. We know we're in the midst of that shift. We've seen huge shifts in population bases. I mean, I live in Coburg, and all of a sudden, rural Ontario, which two years ago is off the map, now becomes the toughest place to find housing. <laughs> but the spread of people to places that were once 1,500 people, now 3,000 people, the different neighborhood changing. In the pandemic, you walk out, and who's my neighbor now? 
There's just movement and fluidity of our neighborhoods, which causes us to think, what does the church look like now, here? Because my neighborhood's changed. My community's changed. You know there's decreased levels of biblical knowledge and spiritual practices. One of the substantial shifts that, I, that we need to wrestle with, and know this, 87% of young people in Canada believe that evangelism is not important, not appropriate. Not that they don't believe it's important, but not appropriate. But there's broad openness to spirituality. That's, our, that's real. That's what we live in. So what does it look like for the message of Jesus Christ to move forward in a culture where young people feel evangelism is not appropriate? It's a great question. And complex. Increased the, as was said, the world is coming to Canada, where the most ethnically this district where you live is the most ethnically diverse district, becoming more so. Increasing levels of international students will always be marked and shape Canada. Largest groups include Chinese, South Asian, Filipino, and Persian. Continue immigration. Canada is shaped by immigration. It's true. When my grandparents came to Canada. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's a gift that God's given us, I think, as a country. But at the same time that we have the world coming to Canada, we have increased secularization in Canada and the church playing a more diminished role. And so we have this dynamic in Canada, that we live in a country that's where many people are pre-Christian and post-Christian at the same time. Fascinating, eh? We're living in a culture where many people have never heard of Jesus. Live across, and those who have, have tuned, are, are tuned out and have nothing to do with Jesus. In our neighborhoods, same time. We're not Antioch. Or, sorry, we're not Antioch. We are a mission field, and it's complicated. Not th- so there's a both and, and again, thanks, Pastor. Pastor Daniel and Pastor Will for recognizing that, that there's a both and. What the Spirit of God propels us to give and be generous internationally actually also takes us across the street, across 16th Avenue, into the homes that were once a field that many years ago. Who has God brought to your neighborhood? And what type of leader, what type of church? I just want to close, sort of close with a couple thoughts. When I think of Paul and Barnabas, think about our day and our context. I think we require the type of churches or individuals who are humble. Who are humble, adaptable, and resilient. There's no right method. There's no right program. There's no kind of magic bullet. It really becomes us being curious learners of culture, asking questions. So what do we do in these days? We ask good questions. We listen to people. We listen to people. We listen to our children. We learn. We become innovative. We learn to multiply in different ways, in different locations. We see where God, where people are being discipled, and we follow that. There were times in Paul and Barnabas' journey where they stayed in an area for a long time and there was times that they moved on quickly. So we adapt. There's times that we lean in and there's times that we adapt. That's 
just what it takes. Humility checks the, humility that checks ego at the door. I, one of the things that I've learned to wrestle with in these season, that I think those who've been part of the church for many years, and I may not be gray, but I'm bald, is to learn that you don't need to be remembered. That when I serve in my church, where I've been a part of for 27 years, is I want to serve in a way that I don't need to be remembered. And that gets challenging the longer you've been there. <laughs> we don't need a name. We don't need an influence within the church. I love it when Paul's like, again, we don't, Paul, Barnabas in those days, when he goes into Lystra, there's a, there's a healing that happens and they want to elevate him. And he's like, don't worship us. Points to Jesus, don't worship us. And we've named churches after him. <laughs> it was actually not about Paul and Barnabas. It's about Jesus. And there's this tendency for us to take those who lead and those who are in places of influence and elevate them. And we need to check ego at the door. And in this season, to be humble and point to Jesus because there's all kinds of reasons and challenges. Leaders who are humble, leaders who are adaptable, leaders who don't need to be worshipped. And here's the other thing, as churches... I mean, the pandemic's been the season for decluttering, right? I think we've got to be careful again. What are the things that we're holding on to that we should have let go a long time ago? One of the first things I had in my house, for some reason, again, um, my, when my wife and I, we, um, I don't know how it happened, but very early on, I broke the lid of the toilet. You know, the toilet has that porcelain lid, and somehow I dropped it. And again, I don't know what I was trying to fix or what happened in that season, but it, it's hard to find a new toilet lid. Like, it really is. So I, I searched and I found it. Uh, I found it at uh, a building center store. I found a new toilet lid and placed it. But years later, about five years later, we needed a new toilet. So we replaced the toilet. But I held on to that toilet lid because it was a lot of work to find that toilet lid. We didn't have a lot of finances at that time. I carried that toilet lid through three moves. There's, not a, there's only one use for a toilet lid. It's just one. It's on the top of your toilet. It doesn't go anywhere else. But that, I hauled that toilet lid through three moves and was still there until, thankfully, the pandemic comes and I cleaned up. We're thankful to get rid of the porcelain toilet lid. But I recognize, what are the, th what are the things that we hold on to as a church that we just can't let go of, that we've been carrying for 20, 30 years? And it's actually just been a hassle, if we were honest. And it was useful, and it meant a lot 25 years ago because we didn't have much. And it was hard to find a new toilet lid. But there's things that we've carried with. Personally, again, I tie my identity and history at a church far too much that I had to let go. I was a youth pastor at the church that I still serve at, and that marked I wanted people to remember that season and be remembered for that. I did. Got to let go of that identity for God to take you into new places. There's things that, are, that still linger with a church that are 20 years old and we just can't remove from. Got to declutter that. Not to declutter, to simplify so that we can, because then we can step into the new things that God might be calling us to. You need to be able, there's a new season. There are new things happening all around, all around. 
There's new things that God wants to do in each of our lives. And sometimes it's going, again, Holy Spirit, what are the things that I'm holding on to in such a way? I just got to let go. I just got to simplify it. So that I have space to step in. So, humility. Let others lead. Throw out the toilet lid. The other thing that we need we need to be resilient. If you take a look at Paul's journey, Acts 14, verse 20. We left that story with Paul on the outskirts of Lystra Derby being left for dead. Remember where that where we ended? So we're gonna pick up the story. What happens after that? But while the disciples stood around him, verse 20 of 14, he got up, he entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby. After they had preached the gospel to that city, they made many disciples. They returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraged them to continue in their faith, saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with them, prayed with fasting, they commended the Lord, them to the Lord, those who had believed. Okay, so just a little bit of a glimpse of what just happened. Number four is Lystra Derby. So Paul, again, this is just a little bit of an extra thought. The other arrow without a number is Tarsus, Paul's home. So here's the thing. Paul's not far from home. And I don't know if Paul thought of going home, but here's the deal. He's left for dead outside the city. There's a lot of other places he could go rather than what he chose to do. He could go home. He could go back another way. So what Paul does is he gets up, strengthened by the disciples, and he goes back through the places that he'd just come from. Did you catch that? He actually goes back through the places where he just got set, like persecuted, where he experienced sickness. He goes back through, and what does he do? He encourages the church. He becomes the good news. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't go home. He doesn't throw in the, throw in the towel. He gets up and goes back and tells them that they can do it. It's going to be okay. And does he have credibility? They just saw, he just came through you, now he's coming back. And he prays and he meets with them and he encourages them and he tells them, it's gonna be okay. You may, there may be moments you experience sickness. There may be moments you experience conflict. There may be times you feel left for dead outside the city. It's gonna be all right. Holy Spirit's still in this. Jesus is still on the throne. He gets back up and he encourages them. And he encourages them. And then when they get back to Antioch, they, they don't talk about how hard it was. They actually, what do they do? When they arrived, in verse 27, they gathered the church together and they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he'd opened up a door of faith to the Gentiles. They come back together, they tell them the report, and they celebrate, and they get ready for what's next. In this season... In Canada, around the world, we need the type of leaders who are resilient. The kingdom of God comes through tribulations. 
You can't bypass. You can't bypass the chaos. But you can recognize the presence of Jesus through that chaos and that again, that he is on the throne. So there's days. There's days when there's chocolate milk spilled on the floor. <laughs> there's days when things seem to be overwhelming. There's days of encouragement. But I also want to remind you just that there are days of amazement. There are days where we become aware of just the presence of Jesus in a fresh way. There comes a time when you like both knows it was worth it. It was worth it. So I just want to encourage you, church, you as individuals, some who, who I've met, many I haven't, to not give up. Don't give up. Be strong and courageous. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this life that you've given to us. Thank you for the, your grace in our lives. Thank you for the people and places that you've led us, things that you've taught us. Thank you for your goodness towards us. Thank you for the reminder of these early days of the church and how you, you use individuals like Paul and Barnabas and Mark, later on Silas, and others to come alongside what you were doing in those communities. And I just pray, pray Jesus, that you would inspire us by your spirit to the things in our lives that you are pulling us towards. Who are the people you're asking us to care for? Where are the places you're asking us to go? What do we need to do in our own lives? What do we need to simplify, to declutter? What stops us from experiencing the life that you have for us? Oh, Jesus. Help us to be obedient to your call in our lives. Help us to recognize your spirit at work. I again give you thanks for this place. What a gift Unionville is to me. What a gift it's been to so many people. We just pray just a special blessing over the leadership, and the people in this church, and ask for your continued guidance and care. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.